0: So, as uh, Jose very, uh, very wonderfully uh, imitated earlier, I was telling the kids about a former colleague of mine who, who works with children, and he always talks about the joy of, of the Lord. Um, that's just the way you got to say that word. And this week is the week of joy, and I began to think about um, the things that bring me joy, because joy is one of those difficult words um, that when we use it, we can mean different things. Think about the joy, the joy of uh, listening to Christmas music for me entirely too early in the season, but especially when driving around and looking at Christmas lights and being so glad that there are other people willing to work that hard to make their houses look good. <laughs> oh, mine sits unlit this year. Um, I think about the joy that comes from watching the movie that I've seen 87 times before. we can quote every line, and yet somehow it still just plucks up my heartstrings, right? Um, That kind of joy. I think about the joy that comes from those quiet moments. Oh, man, those quiet moments are especially nice in this phase of life um, where things just seem to be at peace and all is well for simply a moment. You know, joy is also one of those things that is sometimes easier to understand when we lose it in a weird way. Sometimes we don't know what joy is until we know it's gone um, or at least it's been unsettled. When we say goodbye to someone that we really love, even if just for a moment but sometimes for what feels like permanent. Or maybe your joy has been stolen by um, things that feel so beyond your control, like conflict in the Middle East, or uh, war in Sudan and Ukraine that goes on and on, or violence in our own land that barely even makes headlines anymore. or. Maybe there's conflict in your own street or your own home that will never get a news story written about it, but it really robs you of your joy. Joy is a tricky word, but it's an important word, and it's part of our Advent journey. If this is your first Sunday with us or your first uh, time to be in a church during a season of Advent, welcome. Um, It's the season of preparing for Christmas Day. The liturgical calendar, this Christian calendar that a lot of churches, like United Methodist Churches, follow, it, it invites us into seasons, not simply moments. And we love a good moment, don't we? <laughs> we love building to a good moment, but, but the season of Advent is about all those little moments that lead up to what feels like the big moments. So we're in the little moments right now. And part of that Advent journey is finding our way to joy. And so today, we're going to turn to a prophet. Prophets are good at helping you to find your way. They can be a voice in the wilderness, or they can be a light in the darkness. And today, we're going to hear from a prophet named Isaiah, the same prophet who brought us comfort last week. And what goes better with comfort than joy? So we turn our attention to Isaiah 61, beginning in verse 1. And I'm gonna be reading from the Common English Bible Translation. I'm gonna read a few verses and then stop and talk, and then a little more, and stop and talk, and then a little more. Isaiah says, The Lord God's Spirit is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. God has sent me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release for the captives, and liberation for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and a day of vindication for our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for Zion's mourners, to give them a crown in place of ashes, oil of joy in place of mourning, a mantle of praise in place of of discouragement. If those words sound familiar to you, perhaps it's because you've studied the book of Isaiah before, or perhaps it's because you've, you've heard them through the, the, the voice of Jesus as found in the Gospel of Luke. In Luke's Gospel, he introduces us to the uh, adult ministry and the life of ministry of Jesus through a sermon that Jesus gives in his home church, his home synagogue. And he's, he's there as a part of worship. They invite him to bring the message. And he unrolls the scroll of Isaiah, the same words that we heard just now. And the prophet's voice rings out through his lips. And he begins to proclaim this good news. By the time Jesus was alive, the Hebrew Bible would have been translated into the Greek language. And that, that word for good news is almost identical to the word that we use for gospel gospel. And so Luke might be saying that the tone and tenor and and themes of this gospel of Jesus Christ could also be the good news that we find in Isaiah. What I find interesting by starting with these words is that Jesus proclaims this good news, proclaims this gospel, proclaims this freedom, this comfort, this joy, this liberation. And then he makes his life about it. He doesn't just talk about the people in this text, but he makes his life about them as well. Notice who the good news is for. Maybe you've noticed this before, but notice it again. The poor, the brokenhearted, the captive, the prisoner, the mourning, the people in in sacks and ashes Who does Jesus make his ministry about, especially in the Gospel of Luke? The poor, the brokenhearted, the mourning, and the captive. You know, it may sound odd to start here on a Sunday all about joy, but my friend, one thing I've learned in the life in my life as a pastor, is this, that, that sometimes um, our culture wants to jump to what we think is joy, but is actually just this weird um, half-hearted version of it that we might could call happiness um, at best. But in order to make it our way to joy, that, that real deep-seated, soul-filling kind of joy, we have to first go through grief. Because grief is a natural part of this life. We may not wish it were so. In fact, as a pastor in America, I notice our recent shift towards away from calling things funerals and rather we want to have a celebration of life. And hear me clearly, I love officiating at celebrations of life. I planned one for my own grandparents Um, when each of them passed away. I have pastored so many of them and I understand the intent of wanting to emphasize and focus on the good that this person brought to our lives and still does in different ways. And yet, I wonder if as an American people, Walter Brueggemann noticed this in his life, as an American people, we are uniquely ill-equipped to deal with our grief. We tend to wanna push right past it, brush it off to the side, maybe wrap it up in gift wrap and send it off to someone else. But the reality is if we want to make our way to joy, as Isaiah reminds us, the path to joy, the path to good news does not come through the people who are full and happy and have plenty, but rather the poor and the brokenhearted and the mourning. I wonder what Isaiah and what Jesus are asking us to do. The good good news truly does invite us to draw near to grief, both our own and the grief of others as well. Before Jesus could offer the kind of deep-seated, soul-filling joy that he knew the world needed, he had to draw near to the griefs of the world as well. It is hard to bring good news to the poor until and unless you are in relationship with and listen to the poor. At best, you're making an assumption of what might make them happy, but Jesus and Isaiah are here to offer joy instead. And so what if our own grief and what if the grief of others is an invitation to see the world as it is and to discern, to then discern the kind of joy that we now know the world needs? Joy is not simply a feeling, my friends, it is an inbreaking of the Holy Spirit. It is that keyhole in the door. It is the light in the darkness. It is the the brush of dawn breaking over as the sunrise is quickly coming. That's what joy is. It is something bigger and better than self-seeking pleasure or than momentary happiness. It is something that can create that excitement, that praise, that adoration every day of our lives, and it doesn't come overnight but what it is, is an inbreaking of the Holy Spirit into the griefs of our own lives and the lives of the world. And if we want to receive joy, we've got to get real about our grief. So, this Advent, maybe the first invitation is not to gift wrap your grief and make it look nice and tidy for someone else, but instead to sit with it, to be with it, and to trust that joy is coming in that journey. And then the prophet Isaiah continues. In verse four, and this is one of those verses. See, we love these first, that, those first verses I just read, that could have been a whole sermon right there, but you know me, I'm not done yet. Um, they're like, Scott, I, this, this, that's an eight-minute sermon. You've never done that in your life. Um, verse four continues, and it's a verse that we can skip over and we really shouldn't. Isaiah's talking about the people that are receiving this good news when he says, the poor and the brokenhearted, the captive, the prisoner, the mourner, And then he says this. He says, they will be called oaks of righteousness, planted by the Lord to glorify himself. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore formerly deserted places. They will renew ruined cities, places deserted in generations past. I want us to notice the little joys that Isaiah is offering us. The first one is this. They... Isaiah is talking about the poor, the brokenhearted, the captive, the prisoner, the grieving, and the lowly. They are not simply worthy of our pity. Isaiah says they are worthy of our attention because they are who the Holy Spirit's inbreaking work is happening through. They will rebuild, renew, and restore the ruins and the desert places. The lost and forgotten, the worn and the weary, they will be the ones that God chooses to do this work through and with. So the second thing to notice is that work that they are doing, restore, renew, and rebuild. In our American culture, again, we can be obsessed with the novel and the new, can we not? Anybody update your iPhone? Is it broken yet? You should probably get a new one, right? Oh, guess what? The local cell phone company is giving them away for free. Just don't read the terms and conditions. We love new. Here in DFW, where this church is located, we are in the heart of suburban sprawl and master-planned communities that come full with pickleball courts, because we're all into pickleball suddenly, um, and there's a Target on every corner. There are Starbucks everywhere. McDonald's isn't satisfied with simply McDonald's. Now they're coming up with McCosmics or something. I don't know, because they need more money, right? We Just sprawl, everywhere sprawl, new, everywhere new. And yet here, the prophet suggests that our work is in the ruins and the deserts with the people in places who are forgotten and weathered and worn. I wonder how a church like ours could listen to Isaiah and how Isaiah's voice could inspire and influence us to a better path of joy. A lot of churches, quite frankly, and I'll say even churches in my own denomination, are driven by sort of a classical model of, well, we, we need money, and we need people, and we need to, to have wins as soon as we can. we need got to have victories tomorrow. we got to have a Q1 report to send to the bishop, show him how many butts are in the seats. He's going to be so proud of us, right? In fact, I don't know if I was going to say this or not, there's a, there, there's a church of influence in our area, not in our denomination, um, that quite literally will identify preferred neighborhoods and will then intentionally send their people to go and move in and live in those preferred neighborhoods. I bet you can guess what the average income of those preferred neighborhoods might be. And that's a praxis of evangelism. And that's what we think is going to bring us joy. In the United Methodist Church, we take a, uh, we look at a landscape of our uh, DFW Metroplex and we identify where the next master plan community is going to be. And we say, great, what a great position for a new church plant. We don't bother to look as closely at the places that don't have the resources. We talk about it in terms of sustainability because that makes us feel better about it. But at the end of the day, we're not as interested in investing in poverty or investing in deserts or investing in ruins it's not shiny and it's not new and doesn't create the quick victories that we want. That's why when I came to this church three years ago, I was really surprised to see that one of our four pillars of ministry is ministry with the poor. And all three words in that statement are important ministry with the poor. Because I think a lot of Christians are good at doing ministry to the poor, right? We do charity. And I don't mean to knock charity. Charity is important, but charity is a far cry from justice. Charity is not the vision that Isaiah is proclaiming. Good news to the poor is not happiness for a day. Ministry with the poor, that's something different. That requires investment that might not look like a natural return. Ministry with the poor looks like breaking bread over tables and starting long conversations and beginning a a, a journey down a road that may never make attendance in our sanctuary boom and bust. It may never cause us to have a, a nice, shiny new church plant in the next master plan community, but ministry with the poor trusts that the blessing and the joy that God has not just for this church, but for the all of humanity comes not through the full and the happy and the proud and the powerful, but through the poor and through the broken, and through the captive. And if we want to be on a journey towards joy, that journey takes us through grief. So we say, we want to be in ministry with the poor. And so I say, good, and I wonder how far we're willing to let God take us. One of the most recent steps we've taken in that direction is with this new ministry called Open Mesa at La Mirada. And I'm grateful for leaders like Adriana Heyer who are helping us to see ministry in a different kind of way, who are helping us to understand investment in a different kind of way, to see people as people and not potential pew sitters. I wonder if we're more interested as churches in numbers or in life transformation. Jesus never commissioned the church to go and build a membership roster, did he? this Advent season, the joy that I experience is not about looking back and tallying up all the data, but noticing the lives that are changed as a result, the people who are brokenhearted right now who are getting phone call after phone call from members of this church, letting them know we see you, we love you, we are with you as you grieve. That matters so much more to me, and I know it matters to you. I wonder as churches, will we allow the prophet to influence us to see the journey of long-term joy as being so much more valuable than anything else? The joy we are waiting for is not new and shiny and unknown. It's not something that we're going to find by building the next new super target. The joy we are looking for is something that we lost along the way in our life as people. Renew, restore, rebuild. This is the work that God has always been about. Since the moment we learn about the the garden as intended in the poetic words of the book of Genesis, somehow our joy was robbed, and we're not here trying to build something new. Jesus Christ on Christmas Day is not something God dreamed up 2,000 years ago, no. The whole idea is that we are returning, we are receiving, we are remembering that joy that once was ours and somehow was lost. And if we continue to walk with God, could be ours again. A joy that we might only remember as the poor and the imprisoned and the lowly are enriched and liberated and uplifted. And so that brings us to the closing of today's scripture. It picks up In verse 10 of 61, Isaiah says, I surely rejoice in the Lord. My heart is joyful because of my God. Because God has clothed me with clothes of victory, wrapped me in a robe of righteousness, like a bridegroom in a priestly crown, like a bride adorned in jewelry. As the earth puts out its growth, and as a garden grows its seeds, so the Lord God will grow righteousness and praise before all nations. God has clothed me in victory, growing like a seed. Two different metaphors that can be a point of joy for us today. Joy, again, is not a fleeting feeling, but a posture that comes from knowing that God's cosmic, universal love is breaking through even now slowly enough that we might not notice it even day to day. But like a garden, whether that's the garden that was at first intended or the garden that God is nurturing once again, God's love has already taken deep roots and our lives will not be lived nor grieved nor loved in vain. Clothed in victory, sometimes... Joy is something that we pray for and yearn for, and it simply takes time to become ours. The prophet writing today might say, Dress for the joy you want, is what I hear the prophet saying, clothed in victory. You know, I was working at Target, but I showed up wearing this one day, and then I became your pastor. It was weird. (laughs) This is the job you want, right? Um, I think sometimes we have to live in a way that trusts that even though we aren't holding the joy that we hope for, we trust that it's coming. We hear the word of God proclaiming the good news, and even though we may still be broken hearted, we trust that this path will not lead us somewhere empty. Maybe that's one reason I love liturgical seasons. Again, this could be your first season of Advent, and As Americans, we we love Christmas Day, do we not? Oh, we love Christmas Day. But there's a a gift in being a part of a church that invites us to consider the long road that leads to the one moment. And, And so maybe this morning, you don't feel like your heart is full of joy. Or maybe it is. But but maybe today, in one sermon, in one worship service, is not going to change everything for you. And tomorrow may not be Christmas Day. Tomorrow, there will still be conflict in the Holy Land. There will still be war in Ukraine and Sudan. There will still be people going hungry in our own zip code. There will still be people unhoused in our own communities. There will still be the conflicts that you are navigating in the midst of your very lives. And yet... We worship the God of the one star in the great night sky. We worship the God of the keyhole that allows the Holy Spirit to break through. We worship a God that invites us to sit with our grief and to trust in the journey towards joy that will not be loved in vain. So my prayer for us as a community of faith is that we would be a community willing to journey through the grief, through the brokenness, through the poverty, through the captivity, trusting that the good news that Isaiah and Jesus came to proclaim is about more than a day and more than a fleeting feeling, but about righteousness and justice that do not happen overnight, but are rather received Through the long journey through joy. Joy, my friends, is not an object quickly taken, but a gift slowly received. And so may we, as the people of God, continue in this journey together, trusting that joy will return once again, and that the good news that Christ came to proclaim. Echoing through the voice of Isaiah is the inbreaking work of the Holy Spirit that has, is, and will be our joy. Amen.